right, so this is kind of a grouping from a class, but we're going to dig way deeper than that. So let me just explain what Dance 654 is. It's performance and dance studies. And I have here with me Saloni, Nikki, and Matt from class, but we're not doing a class discussion by all means. So don't like turn your radio off. We're going to be talking about really important and interesting subjects that kind of intersect gender, sexuality, and the dancing body. Because this is kind of under the dance department. The three of you are dance dancers, dance, dance department people. And I'm technically in the theater department, but it's all kind of related, right? What sparked me wanting to bring this space together is that you know, listening to your research, and I will introduce you in a second. Well, actually, no, let's introduce you guys first. This is so rude of me to like talk and talk and not have, and everybody's like, like who, who the heck's there? Okay, please, please um, introduce yourselves first and tell us what you're studying. Like what's your research and what's your, your deal? Who wants to go first? Happy going in order. I can go first. Okay. Uh, Hello everyone, my name is Saloni. I am a costume designer and currently I'm doing my, I'm getting my PhD in performance studies from theater and dance sports. So pretty much I'm also in that, both those departments studying um, costumes specifically. Uh, I've been a designer in both um, Bollywood, worked in LA a little now, kind of focusing on writing about my personal experiences of those two industries in those two countries together and kind of trying to find um, and write more research about costumes of performances in South Asia where there's a gap within academia about research there. So currently my research explores uh, how costumes are on sculptures in South Asia, translating to how those sculptures show costumes uh, on dance performances as well as just how women in South Asia uh, use use dressing themselves as a performance in itself. So kind of all over there, but um, everywhere in the middle of that. <laughs> Costumes, cool. dressing, performance, and yes, that. That's very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, hi, and I'm Nikki, I'm Nikki Del Valle. I'm from Chicago, and as I represent behind me, my family comes from Puerto Rico. Um, I grew up in Chicago as a performer in theater. My undergrad is in theater, actually acting specifically. Um, I developed a passion for stage combat and intimacy coordination. And I guess um, subconsciously, that's kind of how I got into dance because all of those things are kind of, and I know, Krista, you worked on film, um, like how combat and stuff can really be choreographed yeah. to the T. Um, but outside of those realms, my like performative realms, I like for my pleasure, I exist in kind of the Caribbean carnival. And that's what I get to study now is um, Caribbean expressions and music and dance styles and how it translates in, to Pacific Islands and um, nations across like the Pacific and the Asian region um, and all throughout really, even from India and just really like these ideas of Caribbean spirit and really kind of analyzing how global that is. 
um, and the different, like the different ways it manifests for sure. Um, so that's a little bit of my dance introduction here as I'm getting a candidate for a master's in either cultural performance studies or hopefully an MFA. Uh, but I also intend going the PhD route. I'm here in Hawaii, so. Oh, um, are you sure you're going for the long haul? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, this is the long haul. So I did, I, I never even intended to, to go to grad school. Like in undergrad, my mind was pretty much set like, okay, like I did school, you know. I'm the first to go to school in my family, right? It's higher education. So I, I might as well go as far as I can humanly do. That's very cool. And I really am interested in that intimacy coordination stuff because that's like a hot topic now, like I, apparently. So yeah. yeah, we can go there. Yeah, cool. Mm. Matt, mm. tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm Matt. Um, I'm from Western New York State uh, from a small town called Geneseo. Um, my, I grew up in a family of educators that were doing sort of international education. My dad was a teaching artist um, and yeah, I grew up sort of in a musical family as well, but I started dancing uh, swing, swing dance in college. Um, and then that became a big part of my life, uh, specifically like Lindy Hop, um, which was a partnered uh, jazz dance that originated in Harlem in the 1920s and 30s, um, as well as sort of solo jazz movement from that era as well. Um, uh, yeah, I started started dancing, and then I, I I studied abroad in Vietnam, and there was a dance community there. I saw some of the, sort of the dance interests and my international sort of interests from my upbringing come together, um, and that sort of led my research interest towards um, like spending several years in Korea and coming uh, back to grad school to study. Um, so study, study critical issues within um, the Lindy Hop community and sort of the partner dance community um, at large um, with a focus on like gender, um, sexuality, race. Um, these are like big issues within the Lindy Hop community, the larger Lindy Hop community that have been discussed um, and are, are sort of things we're thinking through now. Um, and sort of, Lindy Hop and my dance practice has been sort of a window to exploring these things sort of on a personal level and then also historically, academically, uh, in terms of communities. Um, and the things that are the topics that I the most specific topics that I'm thinking about right now are uh, sort of queer communities and practice of Lindy Hop in, um, in East Asia. That's my sort of most specific. Uh, interest and um i'm also lo looking at partner dance as sort of a tool a metaphor a um uh embodied practice to think through um sort of normative gender and also um sort of try to queer normative gender to challenge normative uh gender uh, within our our dance our community and then hopefully that can be sort of a rehearsal for um, uh, or challenging norms sort of outside of the dance community as well. 
very cool and very interesting. So just think like in this small space, we have, you know, things from Bollywood meets Carnival meets Lindy Hop in Asia, East Asia. I mean, it's just so interesting that we're brought together by your own efforts to kind of further your own research, but somehow have this connective tissue that that's, that's bringing us into these thoughts. And so what I was trying to say earlier is that, you know, being together in this class, I started, it made me think about the binaries we have in how the dance world or just us as dancing bodies, whether it's social or professional are really so, um, constricted to a very binary structure. Uh, obviously in, in Lindy Hop, it's, you know, it's partnering. So you have the male female thing. And then in Bollywood, it's that kind of very, the masculine role uh, versus the very kind of, I don't know if it's sexualized, you might argue against that, um, Sloni, but, um, you know, and, and the, the sexualization of the carnival, you know, and, and what people kind of turn that into in their heads when they associate that you know, it's almost like it's, it's equates like sexual expression or, you know, there are so many things that link our bodies and sexuality and gender through all of your work. So I wanted to kind of maybe talk about that and how you feel about that um, and how maybe we can start, a, start with the idea of partner dancing being kind of like this binary space that we need to kind of question. And, and today, I'm just saying like, you know how today's progressive world of non-binary relationships and gender identity is, how is that gonna affect these kind of male, female roles when it comes to dancing or just um, identification? And I think Carnival is like probably the one thing that maybe allows us to blend these spaces. But yeah, please tell me what you guys are thinking. Yeah, so in terms of partner dance, um, uh, it um, sort of shows uh, and displays a very normative um, sort of on sort of the European normative uh, sort of gender roles and normative sexuality as well in its in its mechanics and conventions. Um, so, what is what? Like, uh, like, obviously, it holds like the leader follower relationship holds a lot of there are a lot of like repercussions that flow from that from two that two um, sort of con conventional partner dancing bodies that radiate out to community practices to um, sort of the assimilation of your body into this seemingly very normative um, uh, construction. Um, what's helpful about this is that partner dancing is such a multi-sensory experience. Um, so it's, it's, you're able to not only like intellectually think through like these binaries that sometimes, I mean, sometimes uh, can like we maybe lack empathy or like don't, aren't able to get a full perspective about just talking about them or seeing them. But in partner dance, we're able to sort of embody them in across like almost all of our senses and then have on this little, we could call it a little scale model of sort of Eurocentric heteronormativity. As we change it, um, we can sort of act upon it and we have agency within this small little scale model. And 
when we practice our agency on that scale model, it, maybe it makes little tiny changes to the larger, larger. Um, Welcome back. I'm here virtually with Saloni, Nikki, and Matt from a performance and dance studies course. Uh, and, you know, from all of your really interesting and diverse backgrounds and Saloni, you know, being having worked in Bollywood as a designer is a really fascinating aspect and your access into that world. So I'd love to hear from your perspective on, um, you know, multicultural representations of, you know, th there is such an influence in the wider commercial world of dancing. Um, and, and even just like you said, normal daily kind of fashion, how, how we've glamorized uh, Bollywood to the extent that sometimes it becomes, I don't know, it, does it ever become whitewashed or is there like a stereotypical Bollywood thing that we assume to be Bollywood? Um, I wanted to start there because uh, I think being in the US, a lot of things get very diluted and we become like this, like we claim, okay, we're going to use that word cultural appropriation. We, we claim to have access and to understand a culture, but then it's just so misappropriated. Carnival too, right, Nikki? I mean, like everybody knows it and everybody has their version of what it means to have that freedom of expression. And then Matt, you're coming up with this really uh, like far left idea of Lindy Hop in East Asia, but querying it. I'm like, I'm still trying to make sense of that kind of combination, which is really, really cool. So how do we talk about um, how things become represented and misrepresented? Um, is it by is it because of the lack of access to authentic culture? Um, is it the mainstream media that's driving these kind of um, diluted or glamorized versions of something that then we take on as knowledge and then get kind of you know dice it turns into something else? I mean, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I actually have a question since oh. like um, the point, not like question for all the viewers to think about it is all the listeners, we're on a radio, uh, so listeners to think about, do we really have lack of information? Do we really think that we do not have enough information to interpret? Um, and like you said, it becomes more about using that information correctly where cultural appropriation comes and plays a major role. Because even when we talk about Bollywood, um, and yeah, I had like the opportunity of working there, but there's, and definitely Bollywood is a second hand word, like for now to like, you know, it's a second word to the way we dress, the way we perform, the way we dance, the way we watch films. Uh, you, you talk about Bollywood, you'll technically go back to everything, which is like Indian with those colors and embroideries and everything. But technically Bollywood is not even, even the only cinema in India like it has Indian cinema it has different languages it's just cliched and stereotyped to be called Bollywood and where somebody you see in a sari or somebody you see with a bindi will be like called Bollywood um for a matter of fact if you if you even think about it um Bollywood is not even something about South Asia anymore. Even if you like Middle East anywhere anywhere you see them in like if in, if, if any performers in like these um, so-called exquisite like garments and like, like somewhat like uh, if they're dressed up a little differently, uh, they're considered to be Bollywood. Um, so definitely that is something that we are stereotyping here. 
um, where the problem is not enough information. The problem is that people are not trying to, are making, the, making enough effort to understand the culture, to use it correctly. If that is one of the major reasons that I actually was, I did my undergraduate in India and I was in a fashion degree. I was working for films, but I saw this, this like whenever um, I saw these films in the US and Hollywood, the, the drapes were incorrect. They were using incorrect costumes. Uh, people were not like everything on screen visually was exactly not the right way. There's a stereotypical way of like having an Indian character on screen as well. Without any research, they will just put them in the first Indian garment that they that the designers will find, which is why I, I came here to get my master's degree where um, that was a whole different um, ball game, a whole different drama where I was being trained to be a white designer. I was being like whitewashed, being like, okay, like you need to first understand the rules that are here rather than like, you know, uh, letting me be or like letting, letting me get my knowledge on this table rather than understanding the other way around. So I would definitely say cultural, cultural appropriation is a very important thing today where research is the most first thing that people as designers, as actors, as performers, as directors, as playwriters need to like start with to like understand their culture and like like to understand the culture that you're working towards or like and how know. hard is it honestly you know you yeah. look at hollywood why do they you have access to everything on the internet now there is no reason why they can't also, find some authentic thing also to be honest why not just have a consultant consultant just have one person from that area yeah. to help i'm sure there are enough south asians in in the us to help a production get the correct information so just have a consultant. Yeah. Even yeah. like we were talking how Nikki kind of mentioned like intimacy consultant, like even even cultural consultants. We, we need these in Hollywood just to make that space more, you know, work effectively and efficiently and like give out the correct um, narrative on screen because they're kind of creating a, like now because of those those issues, Hollywood has created a stereotype which is so difficult to break. For example, um, I was just in a class uh, and I was told how Aladdin is so like Indian. Aladdin is not Indian. It's not South Asian. It's Middle Eastern. Like, let's, and like, for example, I was just walking in a sari the other day in Westwood, near, like in California. And I was asked if I was a belly dancer. No, I'm not. Oh I'm a gosh. woman wearing a sari go on Diwali, walking from one building to another in California doesn't mean I'm a belly dancer, <laughs> which is not even from South Asia. So we, we have the major, major stereotypes that, that needs to be broken. Yeah. Where you can't just, we're not exotic people wearing those clothes. Those are our cultures. But that's you know? the thing. Do we, why are we seen as exotic? Because we're not, when we're not white, does it, is there something that people kind of create in their minds that, you know, that stupid question of where are you really from kind of idea? No, but even not where, like, but when it comes to like these Halloween costumes and, you know, remember, I don't know if you guys came across this, but there was this headline about my culture is not your costume because all of this yeah, like yeah. comes down to like having, for example, now that we're in Hawaii, like people would just wear hula costumes and just call yes. them costumes and like stereotype that like yeah. when do we this is all happening because 
both Bollywood and Hollywood, and as I've seen, and I think all of us will agree to, is are these entities which are making these major, you know, they are, they're telling people how to think. They are, they have so much power within them to make and break stereotypes. So my question is like, when are we moving towards breaking them and actually showing the real narratives of people and also who they're definitely, like I said, they can, they can have the right people there to tell their own stories. Yeah. Nikki, man, chime in. How, how are we going to disrupt that? Because we talked about pairing and partnering and how we're trying to kind of disrupt that binary. But yeah, when it comes to this cultural stuff. I actually have something with Nikki. Nikki, remember we were like talking about this last semester of, of that's the problem is because we both got the opportunity of being here, of getting our master's and like PhD degrees, uh, or being first in our families to, to get this higher education in yeah. arts and performing arts, you know, these breaking these rules of like studying and putting our, um, our opportunities and like- Yeah, because you're supposed to get students. married and like go off and like yeah. have babies, right? <laughs> Listen, that fight like happens every day. <laughs> I'm still fighting through that. But I have whole- a friend who's Nepalese, um, and she's actually part of the East West. And she said that the reason she's taking her doctorate, she's doing a PhD, is because she doesn't want to go home. Because if she goes home, she knows she's going to have to get married because of the pressure. That has nothing to do with it. I'm getting my doctorate, doctorate, and I'm every day being told that now is the time since you have you have time on this earth since you're just sitting there and writing papers. So all you can do is like get married, do it with a man next to you since you're sitting at home and writing papers. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's all I do. Uh, but yeah, that is what like I was talking to Nikki about like, but the good thing is that we have got this opportunity yeah. to be in academia, to have our voice and like, because not a lot of performers, indigenous performers, people from traditional backgrounds have got this opportunity to be here true, or true. to be in academia or to be able to right. tell their own stories. Where I, like I would also go back to what Nikki said, or like you were saying before we went on a break, that 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 is one of the reasons why we do not have this in our curriculum today in any yeah. university. For and that. to even voice it outside of your direct department, right? So yeah, Nikki. Uh, I remember last semester and still like um, experiencing that, like that we really are molding, you know, that new. Um, opportunity really or that new world for other people like us to you know thrive in these spaces just as much and every day kind of realizes how much work that actually is um and to answer kind of a question or at least the immediate answer that i had to crystal's question um which the exact question i'm kind of forgetting but it's basically like criticizing you know, these ideas like you would think the, the biggest superpower Hollywood and all of the world would have the resources to accurately portray these different cultures that they borrow from. And um, it's not in Hollywood's best interest to do that because it's not within capitalism's best interest to do that. And it's a capitalistic engine and their priorities aren't um, the significance of a culture or anything. Their priorities are profits. And profits have historically been from like dehumanizing people and directly off of like profiting off of certain bodies, right? Um, and so that's like the relationship that I, I immediately have with it. And it kind of sometimes makes me question my capacity um, to even like 
represent or um, kind of be the poster child in a way. Like when I am the only person who has carnival studies in their background in this department, and I don't want to solely be the, um, you know, the example or the model for that necessarily. And so I'm constantly criticizing like, you know, my capacity to even, um, you know, represent different gender um, expressions, even within these styles and so much more, but definitely take it a day at a time. Um, I taught at Moana Lua as a part of the internship. And I was just, I was really surprised actually. Um, just how the, the, everybody's body was just excited to move. And, um, you know, it really felt like a, a, a natural, like, um, just a very organic experience teaching these kids, like high school students and having them, you know, learn about the Caribbean in, in, in ways that I want them to. And, um, being able to have that representation. So it was kind of like a the double-edged sword, you know, like I, I, I dislike the, the pain and endurance that you have to go through like in the institution, but when you're actually out there creatively expressing and um, sharing at your heart's desire, you know, it, it feels good, I guess, <laughs> yeah. but it is a lot of pressure. I, yeah, I totally agree with what Nikki said and I think capitalism and all of that adds up to it but I also think it's more of ignorance um, for the most fa- matter of fact like for example we were just what I was watching just like that and like it's, it's a big production it's it's HBO and everything um, and you have now Indian characters in it great you're celebrating Diwali in it perfect uh, why, like then have just how much would it cost to have an Indian consultant saying like in your script where you call a sari or like a lehenga sari. Oh, yeah, yeah. How much like how much would it cost to have somebody to tell you what the correct names are? Like, you know, and also just because it it's just sheer ignorance where they know that it where again we even in 2022 we are kind of told that it's not important. It's not important to give an extra minute or a second to even think about if they have correctly said words within a language from a culture that you are using for for your own entertainment. Um, so where up- does that ignorance come from? Like, is it the education system? You know, where, like, you know, we talk about history and we don't learn anything about history except for like the surface level ideas of our past. Or is it the media that we're kind of like washed with in all these commercialized spaces? Where do you think it's like, if, if we're going to assume that is the ignorance that's preventing people from being more authentic in the cultural representation of other people's cultures? Mm-hmm what are, are we where do you think the source is society right like if, if for me my answer right was capitalism and, and it's an ignorant society because it's a capitalistic society in that way and that's kind of what it produces um but there there are larger like engines at fault definitely right um in in terms of the film and crit- criticizing further the film industry 
um, which I'm sure is fun to do with Crystal. So <laughs> I'll take advantage of any opportunity I can. Um, you know, for me, my intimacy coordination is also inclusive of, um, uh, obviously, violence, but um, verbal violence, sex-based violence, race-based violence, and other things that are like that go beyond just physical and sexual intimacy, right? Um, and, and you know, there there's a lack of people in those spaces, even even the intimacy coordinators. I'm not too sure how heavy they're talking about, you know, um, how damaging it is for a director that knows civil rights is very popular right now, so wants to. Yeah gather all the authentic actors that they can from the hood and then make them relive their traumas on the screen for this quick check or whatever Ooh. without ever having somebody that is in the middle and just saying like hey I know this could be um you know a little too close to home I'm the person in the middle that can bring you a donut or whatever you want in the morning before you come to set and make you know your your job doing this a lot easier because sometimes it's not you know intimacy training like yeah, I know this is... Uh, Wait, sorry. Don't yeah. mean to interrupt you, but this is such a fascinating area. Can we just take like one quick break and we come back and talk about intimacy? Because intimacy, oh, sure. whether it's in film or dance and partnering or in, you know, just daily life, you know, what it means, how, how is everything sexualized and how race um, kind of plays into that, I think is a really interesting area. Can we, do you mind? Let's just come back for one more finish I was just I was just connecting that because we also need like a, a cultural um, dramaturge basically or a dramaturge essentially that's what that position is it's a position that doesn't get filled so often so that is a, another one of these groups of people but yes yes intimacy door coordinators and dramaturgs we need more of Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's take a quick break. If people are tuning in right now, I'm talking to Saloni, Nikki, and Matt about, ooh, lots of stuff like sexual, gender, um, and dance bodies and how that kind of all gets intertwined. So don't go away. Continue our conversation. And, you know, my, my head is spinning right now because Nikki had just been talking about as a, an intimacy coordinator, like all the kind of potentially dangerous places we don't think about when it comes to um, whether it's stage or film or dancing, you know, where the sensitivities are in respect when it comes to race and gender-based situations. In, so can, well, Nikki, can you just kind of recap what it means to be an intimacy coordinator, first of all, and then maybe we can talk a little bit more broadly about the issue. Yes, so more commercially, um... There's intimacy coordinators and then there's stage combat choreographers and right. stage combat choreographers, you know, they help with all the killings, slaps, punches, gunshots, violence related things. And the so that's more like of a physical level, I guess, whereas the intimacy coordinator comes in and um, can more commercially help with more sex based um, work or sexuality and stuff like that or intimacy, basically kissing, um, and uh, any moments where actors or performers' bodies need to be intertwined. But I, I think where the conversation led further is where I, I kind of discuss combining that with um, kind of interpersonal traumas as performers and working with and being and having somebody be conscientious of and therapeutic about the artistic 
creating process um, throughout throughout that to to really discuss like is it okay that we're having lots of um, films that talk about sexual violence, but we don't necessarily have anybody for those performers um, to to feel comfortable and to actually feel safe on set um, rather than just feel like they're reliving their traumas or violence. Oh. Um, even if they haven't experienced them directly, still like if they're a, a femme body portraying woman violence, you know, um, they, they see that enough on their daily lives. So to come to work and to reenact that and invest in that and emote their energy and their performance into that, you know, there, there still needs to be that kind of this. And I was just talking about capitalism earlier, so it's ironic, but kind of just um, emotional currency of valuing, you know, um, the work of an artist. And people are going back to Hollywood is they're capitalizing off of that emotional currency, right? Like they're ex it's easy to exploit somebody who claims they have the experience of life traumas that they can bring to the, to the screen or on stage and use that. So like method acting, yes, you're gonna die, tap into those real authentic experiences, but at the same time, what are the, the emotional costs of doing that? And that, that's a tricky one though, right? Because at one point, I mean, I feel like we as experiential people wanna tap into these experiences. And yet when it comes to traumatic situations, whether it's sexual, violent, racial, um, it gets very tricky. <laughs> I would also say like I've been I've been thinking about this. I haven't researched much about this, but I've been like having this thought about how performance and costume in itself are um, how that colonizes a human's body when they're on stage. Uh, like uh, a performer, a, a script, a performance, uh, a costume becomes in control of that human to to show to just show a story on stage so i've been trying to like um decode this about you know how a human body on stage is not within like they're, they're not themselves they're just under control well you can oh, yeah, argue that a lot of theatrical if you're being on stage anyway you are at the beckoning call you're a tool for somebody to put props on you to represent something right? so that is what one one part of my research that i want to do is like how how costume makes it worse or makes it better mm -hmm. um or, or how how a script in itself or how performance in itself is is colonizing a human experience or a body right interesting mm -hmm. matt you were going to say something yeah i've been thinking about this as a social dancer coming into an academic dance space that values sort of the sort of eurocentric um commercial dances and sort of proscenium dance in general how like how saloni you were talking about it's like a costume a script the architecture and like you said on stage the fact that you're on stage in within this sort of like because not all dances happen on stage not all theater happens on stage um and some and maybe some the 
even like colonization of putting these having to adapt these these um these dances into i just think of like into like a studio space like because i i like the, the the architecture of the studio the mirror like affects how i dance and it's like i haven't been in studio like all of these these sort of studio things that a lot of my peers i think are used to i've i've i haven't been used to because i've been dancing in you know about like a like a social dance space or going to a club um so yeah and, and i think it also go it goes into this like how the, the 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 labor it takes to um to translate these these dances to 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 bring these dances to these academic spaces um and the physical architecture that it takes all like yeah bring all of the cultural context into these spaces that are used to sort of uh, sort of the appropriation and creating something that's put on a stage and um, that maybe maybe the dancers don't need to know all the like the lineage of the dances that they're they're learning um, and and all of that. So um, and I'm just thinking of the the campus as as just like a a bubble in itself, even like even like a food like I I go to the to to the extent that's like even like thinking like a food desert like you have to walk a long time to get to a restaurant like like we living on campus like this is not a regular place it's like we can't go and get food unless we're going to the campus center and that's like it's yeah it's it's a different place that like for my colleagues also that just the labor of bringing their expertise and like find and representing their expertise in this very structured environment is uh okay lots of labor. so the, do you think then based on because all of you have such interesting kind of diverse multicultural background and experience that the academic setting um you know on one hand gives you that opportunity because you're privileged enough to get into a space where you can you know research and do the things that you want to research but at the same time this academic space is almost okay I don't want to say whitewashing but it's like diluting or turning it into a clinical space where there's still not enough authentic space for you to fully give voice to what you're trying to say I mean is uh, can we critique that academic space for that purpose for what you're doing like it's giving you the space but at the same time it's turning it into something else or not i i would say that you're correct it is somewhere turning us to and training us to be uh again i wouldn't say more western centric or white centric but technically we are like being trained like that uh but that is where we coming from these different backgrounds are pushing for it to be changed. Uh, my major reason of, I, I, I did get my master's degree, but, um, and when I was getting my master's degree, I wanted to do so much more, which was more uh, South Asian focused, but there weren't as many opportunities on my campus then. 
and then uh, I was I was being trained to be a designer, a trained to be a designer. Since I was doing an MFA degree, I was supposed to get into the industry right after uh, work, and I was being trained to be a designer. And I was trained to I was being trained to be a Hollywood designer. I was being trained to be a designer to enter and design theater in a Western country. Uh, where I think that is that is when I made sure and I pushed that boundary and I'm getting a PhD in costume design, which is not even something that exists in the world <laughs> right now. And like trying to push um, push to do a degree and like having my voice uh, in front of people. Um, like even even right now, now by especially doing my PhD, I have more freedom. I have more freedom to be uh, even, but I have my own freedom because I have gotten that opportunity of being on the table to be able to put my research forward and the option of putting my point of view and where your question of being, if it's authentic or not, that is what I am getting to the table when I have been given the space of getting that. You know, most of the curriculums don't give enough space for us as students to be able to do that. But I think PhD is giving me that. But is that space, like Matt was saying, kind of a bubble space where you feel empowered in that small space, but in the larger picture, you're, the universities may be just checking that diversity box and say, look, we have students from multicultural backgrounds who represent the space. I would say that, but again, I would say that is somewhere you feel in a bubble when doing a master's degree. I felt that too. I Not even a bubble. Uh, I felt like I was supposed to complete this checklist that I did to be to finish that degree. Uh, and by the end of it, uh, it wasn't that I wanted to be a designer in my own self. It became about what do I need to finish my requirements to get that degree to like get out of this program and all of that. And I think that is what I think Nikki and Matt are kind of going through right now since they're in their master's degree. But I think with us and like with PhD degrees, it's given me more uh, more confidence. When I have stepped out, I've visited conferences. I have been, I've been like making more films. I've been out there trying to push that forward with like in conferences, having a perspective from a costume designer's point of view. Uh, where where we as like people are now trying to like having these panels pushing uh, schools to do that and even for for example you having to like host us here right. pushing that boundary again but that we are getting as like doctoral students like you know PhD students where we are kind of breaking that bubble and we're out of there we're like we've done that um, and I think we have more experience of like you know we've done that checklist it's out of the way and now how how are we you know, kind of moving forward of being like, you know, we're trying to have these exhibitions. I'm going to research. Yeah, but it's hard. Really- you have to make so much effort to be heard or to be seen. Yeah, and right? and I and I think I think that it, exactly like it's it's frustrating why it is so slow and why we like it's happening now in 2022. But I think I am really happy that it's it's at least happening and and I'm able to do that. Like especially when I'm going back to India over the summer to research about these cultures and these performances and adornments and like these um like the American Institute of Indian Studies is is funding me for that. Like I am just happy because people are now looking at costumes and adorning oneself mm. as a place to fund right and so, so you're paving it, a new path right okay exactly. like yes. exactly like there are rarely people doing costume design phds right like yeah even my degree is called performance studies and i'm trying to find my way out of there and like where i don't even have as many 
uh, there are, I'm not saying there are not, but there are not as many uh, papers or books and the scholarships or, yeah. or mentors who are yeah. able to understand because my my research becomes so niche. It, it's like, right. it's a culture, then it's a degree, you know, I'm just saying to we. It's, it's sad that as master students, they're not able to break their bubble and we need to like get into a whole PhD zone to, to be yeah, able yeah. to do that. But our curriculums are definitely putting us all in a checklist of like being able to do that checklist where their own class is offered and checklist is not diverse enough. But I, again, again, I would want to say like how Nikki would say or I was saying like, we are trying to break those boundaries. We're trying to be in a space where, where now we know like, five or 10 years down the line, there will be a curriculum in a university that will focus on Caribbean dance. But it's there very will- hard to create new things when people mostly see what's given. Like, okay, which departments, which major should I go into? It's not like, what can I create? What can I do that's beyond that? I mean, it's very hard. Um, so I don't know if Nikki and Matt, you want to kind of like um, have some final thoughts on these these ideas because Matt you had to you I don't know if you're intentionally go you know why your interest is is in Asia you know having lived in Vietnam and Korea you said um, like do you feel compelled to go to a different place to learn and diversify your knowledge in in your kind of area um, or is it just something that brought you there out of kind of serendipity and why that makes a difference in your work, like how how important it is it to be cross culturally, you know, researching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I grew up like part of my upbringing has been pretty cross cultural. So like that sort of um, and being in a house of international educators that was sort of a um, a comfortable area for me, um, and like in sort of the small swing dance community um there are like the big sort of locuses of like communal locuses of the swing dance communities like north america europe and then asia and there's like very um there's there's uh seeing seeing dance as a way to um as cross-cultural exchange to under like to understand things that I didn't know and to like um be able to like we're talking about capitalism and like to, like not having the time and the money to put in something so having the 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 time to build relationships and bond over some common interest do you okay sorry to, I want to ask you something that maybe potentially mm-hmm sensitive so fair yeah. you feel like being you know white male into asian space do you think about like that privileged space or does that become does that is that does that make you an exotic other to them in asia and do you capitalize i hate to use that word again but to does that does that do you think about how you know that gives you access in two places and privileges you oh yeah 100 percent um I, yeah, I totally agree. Even like, even just like I was in a Fulbright English teaching assistantship program and to be a white man compared to a woman or uh, a black person, like in Korea, like that, like we, uh, as a white man, you can just, you can like, you are 
I'm tall. I'm white. I'm like, it's what they expect out of, or what, what maybe Hollywood chose or chose as an American and they, in the like sort of rural American, whatever, whatever that, um, um, uh, images. So that is sort of constructed and all of that. So yeah, me as a white man, like I, there's so many fewer hoops that I have to jump through. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, the, the, and the, the reason, one of the reasons I was interested in Asia, it was because there weren't as many, I didn't see as many people trying to like, um, like engaging in that, that discussion. Cause like the language, um, and cultural divide, like cultural ge geographic divide in the, in the partner dance communities from Asia, Asia, like mostly centered in East Asia, um, as compared to like Europe and the United States is a bit like, there's a big divide or somewhat, I mean, in, even in terms of scholarship, there's a bunch of scholarship on like modern swing dance communities in the United States, in Europe. Um, but there has yet to be like any meaningful, like any, like a large amount of research on uh, these communities elsewhere. And like, even it was in 2015, that was um, Dr. Yuan Chang was the, like, was the first uh, person to write in English about um, partner dancing in Taiwan. So like, and yeah, there's, there's, there's seen not only, yeah, in the, in the academic space, but also just so much like uh, um, potential for discussion and learning through like, not just taking the steps from, uh, from a dance, but engaging and taking the time um, to, and, and, taking, and, and um, embracing the curiosity to move from sort of appropriation to being part of the, the, um, the, the tradition of the culture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're carving your path by entering these spaces and creating new research that's going to open up these discussions that are going to deepen everything within not just the dance space, but these intercultural spaces. So yeah, that's very cool. Thank you. Nikki, what are your like, well, how are you carving these your path that's that's disrupting all these binaries we've been talking about breaking the system? I'm really reclaiming and I this I've taken time this semester to solidify myself like in terms of terminology that I can comfortably claim um, and stuff like that because you know like once you claim it it puts you in a box but um, I was honored to take a class with Makita Thomas of the University of the West Indies in Trinidad and it really shaped a lot of kind of what I want to see more of and the academic discussion that like I'm here for and I had to get it outside of here but that's okay that's why I'm here <laughs> um so I'm kind of really invested in carnival studies and relating it you know what it is in the Caribbean specifically 
history and as its history is, but also like these global um, kind of, what are they called? These global um, phenomenons of Carnival. And as I'm here and exploring it more, especially, you know, having opportunities to take Tahitian dance or, or Tahiti um, and kind of even comparing these similarities within like Heva and Carnival. Um, and I, I, I can even possibly do these comparisons with many other celebrations, but we see within indigenous communities, you know, year long events that um, cause for celebration. But my time here, I'm really kind of just relating more so these Caribbean carnivals or celebrations, festivals, performances, and one pushing for a dance department to really be invested in this <laughs> period, but also like just, you know, there's so much dance that happens, um, so much multicultural dance that happens. And something that we briefly talked about earlier was this idea of, um, that I wanted to bring in more, was this idea of academic imperialism. And I feel, you know, there's lots of folks that are left out within these um, curriculums, but obviously as a Caribbean person, and I feel like as a place that really connects so many people together, when you kind of omit this, this region, you miss out on a lot, a lot of opportunities to also, while we're here in Hawaii, to connect with other islanders and people that share that similar mentality of culture, of um, living. So while I'm here, I'm just ultimately, you know, introducing these connections. Um, you know, I've talked about with the kids that I taught, the idea of having a, car of yeah. having a carnival here, yeah. And um, you know, so, some express that they'd be very excited, or that 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 seems very fitting. Or have they ever like. had carnival here? Um, we have like some underground Caribbean stuff here, oh. but we don't have like you know carnival like on that right. level. Right. We're like over the streets. You know, it's right. like in it's still like in the nightclubs. Huh. You know. Um, that's interesting. So, well, that's an interesting thought, you know, of the possibilities we have here to do things. And, and I think that just listening to the way all of your minds worked, it, it, like how you're making sense of the work you're doing in relation to the context to your own background and the needs to carve your own space and also, you know, trying to make a difference. I think that's kind of like ultimately why we're all here. And um, despite being a privileged space, how do we access things? How do we take advantage of the space to move the needle, right? So I really, I don't think we can ever end this conversation. And I'm sorry, we have to kind of like terminate this immediate one. <laughs> but I think, I, I hope that it leaves people thinking about um, our connection to, um, I want to say going back to gender and racial history because it's still connected to your works and how, why we choose to be in a place, how we're perceived or misperceived. Like Soloni, now that you tell me about people thinking that you were like, you know, um, 
belly dancer like it's just like it's so crazy to me like the ignorance I think that I'm think I'm, I'm remembering here but at the same time these deep connections between like indigenous culture and 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 and, and you know Carnival, how brilliant is that? So lots of connective spaces that you've opened up today. And um, I think I'm gonna leave it at that because the, again, there's no, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but how do we carve these paths that's gonna make a difference? And I appreciate all your voices. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's Solani, Nikki, and Matt here at UH. So if you guys are interested in what dance and performance studies is, check it out. <laughs>